0: Good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, y'all. Uh, good evening. Welcome to Thursday Night Bible Study. My name is Travis Hill. I'm the small groups pastor here on staff. For those of you that I have not had the chance of meeting, and y'all, what a joy it is to have so many people here on a Thursday night. This is so much fun. I hope y'all enjoy coming to these things. We're going to be doing these things through the first week in August, and we would love to have y'all every week, and we would love for y'all to invite friends and family into this thing. It is such a joy to be here with y'all. Uh, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker this evening, and I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. If y'all know kind of how we do this just Generally, we try to find some dirt on our speakers. We try to like... Uh, build this up a little bit so we can poke a little bit of fun at them, kind of embarrass them a little bit to get them smiling and ease the tension a little bit before they come up here and preach their very first sermon. Because, you know, they're all built up with energy and they're a little bit nervous. And we're just trying to, you know, have a little fun with it. And so we reached out to a handful of people. And this week, uh, one of the people we reached out to was his girlfriend, Annabeth. And and one of the first things we got back was, y'all, I just, I can't think of anything. He's just so perfect. And first, congrats on your relationship going so well. Uh, But second, the best part of it was like, Five lines down from that, she might have said something to the effect of, although he did ask me to shave his back pretty early on in the relationship, (laughs) which was also pretty good. Yeah, something you probably want to know about our speaker tonight is that he was a D1 college athlete. He played basketball in college, and in the first round of the NCAA tournament, he beat the Duke Blue Devils, and if y'all don't know who that is, then I'm sorry, you should watch some basketball, but that's a blue blood. Like You probably think he went to North Carolina, you probably think he went to Virginia, one of those other blue blood schools that kind of competes really well with Duke. Well, this guy went to Mercer, and if you don't know where that is, I don't either. He'll probably tell you where it is, but it's really important. He actually, he was pretty good. He hired an agent after college and was, was kind of pursuing the whole overseas thing, so the guy was pretty good. Uh, another thing you'll want to know about him, and you'll find this out pretty soon too, is, is that our speaker tonight's bald, and I was, I was told that he tried to hang onto his hair a little bit too long, just like he tried to hold onto his basketball career just a little bit too long. <laughs> That one fell right into my lap. Uh, You'll also want to know that he's got four siblings. He's got three brothers and one sister. Their their names all start with J, which is really fun. Uh, You probably know one of his brothers. It's Joseph, who's been going here and faithfully serving here for for quite a while as well. Uh, They both uh, really enjoy superheroes, I'm told. Uh, And one of the nicknames that our speaker tonight has is actually the better Bento. That's kind of what he's been called. And so tonight, we get the privilege of judging for ourselves, because his brother was up here two years ago on this stage. And tonight, y'all will get to judge who is the better Bento. So I want y'all to welcome to the stage with me our speaker for tonight, James Bento. Hey, deep breath. Good night, buddy.
1: having a little little mic issue right now. Um, hopefully y'all can hear me just fine. Um, well thanks for that. Thanks for that awesome intro. Um, I had a feeling you were gonna say something like that. Um, I'm sure you got a lot of that from obviously my brother Joseph um, so thanks to you and thanks to you as well. Um, but like he said, my name is James Bento for those who don't know me um, or for those of you who call me Brad Schnefke. Or just Brad. <laughs> I'm actually James, um, and if you don't know who Brad is, well, he's also tall, bald, beard, good-looking, kind of studly, actually, where is Brad right now? Can you stand up for everybody? Yeah, can you stand up for everybody? See, yeah, y'all can see it, right? Yeah. Hey, hey I, I, I appreciate that, James. I mean, Brad, sorry. Steve and I, even I can mix it up. So, hey, it's such an honor and a privilege to get to discuss God's word with everyone here tonight. Um, and before we jump into the text, um, I'm going to open us up in a quick word of prayer. Lord, thank you for tonight. Um, thank you for the fellowship, the food. Um, I just ask that you just bless our time. Um, use me as a, as a mouthpiece. Use me as a vessel um, to speak your word. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. So if you would now, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses one through 12. And as you turn there, I wanna give you a little more background on me. So growing up, I was a pretty shy and quiet kid. I did have hair though, so I had that going for me. But I loved basketball. And my dream, like so many kids, was to play in college. And I was fortunate enough, my senior year, to get a couple offers. As I was weighing these offers, I felt like God was directing me to a school called Mercer. It's a small town in Macon, Georgia. There were so many things I liked about it. A lot of attractive things, right? Coach was a big Christian. The team was really good. They had just won the conference. And it was just a great group of guys. Like, it seemed like the right fit. But at the same time, I felt nervous. I felt a little insecure. Y'all, Macon's far from Houston. It's like a 12-hour car ride. And I don't know a soul. Better yet, like... Yeah, I played private school basketball. Like, This is D1, this is a whole different level, right? I started to think, what if I'm not good enough? What if I can't make it? Maybe I should just go the juco route and wait a year. Have you all ever had a situation like that where you had some options and you knew which one was good? Right, maybe it was similar. Maybe you were picking where you wanted to go to school or what job or career you wanted to have. Maybe it was sent around a relationship. Maybe, like me, you knew which option was good, but you let doubt and insecurity creep in. Make you have second thoughts. But you knew which option was good. Well, in our passage tonight, we're going to see Moses confronted with this exact situation. He's going to be called to something great, but just like me, just like you maybe, doubt and insecurity seep in. So as we look at our passage, I want you to think in the back of your mind, what does God do with our insecurity? How do we move or work past these fears and doubts. First, I want to start by reading verses 1 through 6. Look now there with me. Verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, so first thing. It starts with the word now. In this word, y'all, it's written to emphasize what has just happened prior. If you glance at the end of chapter 2, we can read that God hears Israel's groaning. Remember, they're enslaved in Egypt. And, you know, they're suffering under under Pharaoh's oppression. And we're told that God remembers his covenant. God remembers his promise he made to his people. Even more, Oh, he's ready to act. So how does God act? Well, what comes after the now in verse 1? Paraphrasing, but it basically says, Moses keeping the flock in the wilderness and came to Horeb. And at first, all you read was verse 1. You'd think chapter 2 had this amazing setup, right? The God of the universe, the creator, is going to intervene on his people's behalf. And then chapter 3 kind of fails to deliver. It's kind of a big letdown, right? We're told that God is ready to act, and then the story shifts to the sh- shepherd, in the wilderness? Not only that, but he's a fugitive shepherd, right? A guy who has just murdered an Egyptian and fled. A guy, from what we learned last week, a guy that completely threw away the privilege of growing in Pharaoh's court. So what's going on? What's God doing? Well, looking back at verses 2 and 3, we can see that an angel of the Lord calls out to Moses. Now, what you need to know, most of the time in the Old Testament, for reference, the angel or, or the An angel of the Lord is just a messenger, like an actual angel. But in this case, and there are a handful of other instances, the angel of the Lord is actually God. And you might think, how do you know that? Well, the presence of fire is a sign of God's presence. Throughout the Old Testament, God's presence is represented by fire. So this isn't just an angel or a messenger, but this is God himself. And he's revealing himself to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And it's pretty strange, right? Like, y'all, I'm not some super outdoorsy person, but I have made a fire before in my life. And I do know that dry things, they typically burn fast. Moses in the wilderness, y'all, he's in the desert. Everything is dry. So this is what piques his curiosity. It's not that something's on fire, it's that it's not being consumed. See, Moses sees this bush not being consumed, right? This odd thing. And then in verse three, it says, Moses' like, huh? That's weird. I'm going I'm to go take a look. And verse 4 tells us, as Moses approaches, God calls out to Moses. This goes from weird to wild, right? We're talking DEFCON 1 red alert. The bush that's on fire, well, oh, it talks. <laughs> and not only that, it knows Moses' name. And obviously, Moses started to think, well, you know, this is weird, right? Because then we see the commandment God gives to take his sandals off. Look at the end of verse 5. God says, This is holy ground. And then God identifies himself. He confirms what has to be Moses' suspicion, right? Look at verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of your forefathers. Now, there's a lot there, but you might think, Why? Why does God command to take his sandals off, right? Well, to put this in perspective, I want you all to think how nasty Moses' feet are, right? And feet are generally pretty gross. So, that image you have of, of feet, okay, multiply that by like a billion, y'all. You know, you know he doesn't have the, the on-running shoes like I have on right now with the Lululemon socks, right? <laughs> and he's not, he's not walking around on some lush grass and some asphalt or, or concrete, y'all. He's walking around in sandals that serve as like a, a barrier between his feet and the ground, right? and he's walking around in dirt, and if it rains, mud. You see, also, he's tending sheep. (laughs) Y'all, sheep poop everywhere. (laughs) No, he's probably stepped in it. So there's mud and dirt and poop, right? It's disgusting. So you can understand, his feet are filthy. God says, take your nasty sandals off. This is holy ground. And I think it's important to point out a lot of people think we can just come to God just as we are. To a certain extent, that's definitely true. God reaches out to anyone, anywhere. And I want you to see, an encounter with God does entail coming as we are for sure. Moses doesn't take his sandals off while he's approaching the bush. But as soon as he gets to the bush, as soon as he realizes it's God talking to him, right, that's when he takes his sandals off. That's how he, when he acknowledges how he's sinful and how dirty he is. And this shows... an encounter with God when we as sinful people when we encounter a holy God it requires that we respond humbly it requires that we acknowledge that we're sinners unworthy to approach a sinless God that we take our sandals off and so I want you to think as you approach God as you attempt to draw near him think what sandals do you need to take off what unholy things sinful things should you hide your face from Maybe it's greed, lust, jealousy, gossip, pride, anxiety. Regardless, the message you need to hear is this. If you want to approach God, if you hope to ultimately have a relationship with him, those things, they need to be acknowledged. They need to be taken off. In some ways, we need to react like Moses. We need to take our sandals off. See, this insecurity Moses has, this unworthiness before a holy God, it's actually a good humility to have. A sinful man before a holy God, it's the same humility we should have. What we know as Christians is that God has the answer for it. We know through his word that he sent Jesus to die a death we deserve to take our punishment. So while we recognize our unworthiness, the sandals we need to take off, the sins we need to repent of, We should also have the joy and confidence because none of them are so bad that God wouldn't send his son to die for. None of them so serious or severe that God wouldn't be moved to intervene. And of course, that's what he's doing in this passage. He's intervening. I mentioned the beginning of chapter 3 as kind of anticlimactic, right? Unsatisfying. But these next set of verses, verses 7 through 11, it'll show how God will choose to act how he'll choose to intervene to deliver his people. So look at me at verses 7 through 11. By the way, I want you all to pay attention to the verbs associated with what God does. Okay, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of, out of that Of Israel out of Egypt okay did you catch those verbs I tried to emphasize them as I read but God's reminding Moses why he's even here in the first place right hopefully you heard God sees he hears and he's ready to act and y'all this is a direct parallel to the prior passage I highlighted earlier where God sees the affliction of his people he hears their groans and he's ready to deliver his people And I mentioned this earlier as well, but I don't want to let this pass by. Y'all, God is not distant from us. He sees us. He hears us. He acts for us. If you've ever wondered, is God really there? Does God really care? Hopefully you see here, God responds to his people. His heart is bent towards suffering and hardship. He intervenes. If you're in that place, discouraged, lonely, hopeless, y'all be encouraged. God is not too busy or too distant. He's actively engaged. He cares about each of us. And then God, he calls a shot, right? God intervenes. How? First, he says, I love this, God says, I'm gonna come down. Come down. Super casual and easy form, right? He says, I'll come down from heaven and deliver my people from Egypt. And second, he says, I'm going to deliver them to the promised land, a land with everything they'd ever need. And then, God, after calling a shot, remember the context. Moses is nervous, right? He's, he's curious, he's broken, he's aware of his unworthiness, thinking he's just seeing a burning bush, now his sandals are off, right? Now he's hiding. And then, God does the one thing that Moses doesn't expect. Really, the, ultimately, what Moses doesn't want him to do. Look back at verse 10, he says, He says, I will send you back to Egypt. He says, I'm going to use you to do all this. And how does Moses respond? I want you to pay attention here. Look at verse 11. He says, who am I? Who am I? I can't go to Pharaoh. He immediately questions God. This is where this text, this passage from so long ago, falls into our lap. Now, as you hear me saying that, you might be thinking, God doesn't call me like this. God's not asking me to... Deliver his people, right? I mean, at the very least, you can think, that's cool for Moses, but what does that mean for me? Well, I want you to think. I know a lot of you are new to GBC. For those of you who have been around, even for just a little bit, y'all, what's the mission of this church? What's the goal of the pastors and elders? What does every sermon and small group push us towards? Discipleship. Discipleship. This is what God is calling you to. This is what God wants all of us to pursue. And you might think, what is discipleship? Oh, it's the pursuit of Jesus. It's aimed not just toward looking more like God. No, it's about leading others to look like God. And just like Moses, our first reaction to this call to ministry, this call to discipleship, almost automatically is like, who am I? You see, we ask ourselves the same question, just in different ways. Like I said at the very beginning, we let insecurity and doubt impact the way we think about this call. We think, am I ready to tell someone to follow me? Or, do I know enough? Maybe I'm just just not there yet. I need another year. Or, I get that I'm supposed to, but I don't know what it's supposed to look like. Listen, insecurities like these, most of the time, Our insecurities, they seem like humility, right? It can look and sound like humility. You know, like, oh, I'm not that great, you know, woe is me. But really, and you need to hear this, really, insecurities are based in pride, right? Our insecurities are not us questioning ourselves. It's ultimately us questioning God. Did you catch that? Our insecurities are not us questioning ourselves. It's ultimately us questioning God. Here God says, I'm going to do this amazing thing. I'm going to send you to do it. And Moses replies, me? Are you sure you know what you're doing? Do you see, insecurity is pride. It's pride to tell God, hey, you didn't, you didn't make me right, and um, you, know, you didn't make me good enough. You should probably go get someone else, right? It's pride to think that we know better than God, really. And it's pride to think that the task actually depends on us, on our ability. It's self-focused. Do you see the difference between this insecurity?" And the one before? See, the one before, Moses rightfully recognizes his unworthiness standing before a holy God. But now, Moses' insecurity is not recognizing his worthiness to accomplish something a holy God has called him to. So, returning to the question from the very beginning what enables us to overcome insecurity? What kills that pride that drives insecurity? Let's read this last verse to find out. Verse 12 says this. He, that's God, he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Y'all, I love how God responds to Moses, right? Notice what he doesn't say. He's not like, all right, Moses, um, well, you're kind of our top prospect down there, and I don't know who else to turn to. Um, You know know the Israelites. You kind of know the Egyptians well. You know Pharaoh, and... um, yeah, man, go get them out there. <laughs> no, thankfully, God doesn't say that. He simply says, I will be with you. In other words, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are, I am with you. This isn't about you, it's about me. And y'all, this is it. This is the answer to the questions I just posed. As we answer God's call to ministry, as we look to make disciples, just like Moses, God says, he will be with us. By the way, this isn't just something we see here. Oh, it's throughout the Old Testament. The call to God's service is always accompanied by the promise of God's presence. Did you catch that? The call to God's service is always accompanied by the promise of God's presence. And It's not just in the Old Testament. Y'all might be familiar with the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last charge to his disciples, to the church after his resurrection. He commands them to make disciples. And he promises them, just like here he promises them, I will be with you. So how do we get over this insecurity? How do we move past this fear and doubt? We remember that God is with us. That in the midst of our insecurity, he provides security. In the midst of our uncertainty, he provides certainty. And that's the point. It isn't going to be us doing the discipling. It's God working through us God working through our insecurities, our inadequacies. By the way, think about it. That's God's plan, right? You see, this is, this is the way God gets the glory, right? By using broken people, by using us. We can't take credit for it. All the glory and credit belong to him. And listen, I don't come up on this stage on some high horse. I've struggled with insecurity and discipleship too. I mean, I've been a part of a growth and community group, and I'm even in a discipleship group that meets every Tuesday morning but I felt a pull to disciple someone. I knew it's something I should do, but honestly, I felt a lot like Moses. I thought to myself, who am I? Last summer, I got asked to go on the kayak trips led by West. And the entire trip, either kayaking or talking about discipleship. <laughs> and during the trip, really even before the trip, I've been praying pretty earnestly to, to, for God to provide for me someone to disciple. But still I thought, getting closer I'm not there just yet I'm close so on the third day of the trip I'm driving in the car with a guy named Martine and his now fiance Stephanie and obviously we're not kayaking so we're talking about discipleship (laughs) right we're talking about the implications how it works Martine starts talking about how he's brand new to the faith how he's eager to learn how he starts expressing how he wants someone to disciple him Y'all, we sat in that car driving in the mountains for like five minutes in silence. Maybe it was longer. I was just staring out the window thinking, I wish I could disciple him. (laughs) You know, I I wish I could help. I sat there and and came up with all the reasons I, I couldn't, all the reasons I shouldn't. I was doing exactly what Moses did. But as I was staring out that window in this awkward silence, I felt God pressing on me saying, this is it, this is your opportunity, this is what you've been praying for. He was saying, I'll be with you. And that gave me the confidence to speak up. Tell Martine that I'd disciple him. Y'all, and after almost a year of meeting every Friday at Island Grill, like the rest of GBC, (laughs) I've gotten to see the joy and the buzz that West and the rest of GBC emphasize. You see, God is using me as a voice to speak the truth to Martine. We started with a really simple curriculum, you guys. And now, y'all, were are reading an apologetics book. Y'all, his, his passion and desire to want to know more, it's pushing me to want to know more and, and love the Lord just as much as he does. And guys, that's discipleship. That's where you get to experience God. It's so much fun, it's so rewarding. Look, I want to conclude back by circling back to the very beginning. Remember, I was the high school senior, trying to figure out what I wanted to play. Obviously, you heard I went to Mercer. Um, And the fun thing was, obviously, I got to be a part of a special team. My freshman year, we got to go to the NCAA tournament, March Madness, right, big dance. We upset Duke. It was amazing, and the best seat in the house, front row, corner, end of the bench, right? (laughs) But y'all, it was was truly one of the best experiences of my life. (laughs) Actually, one that ended up in me in this super embarrassing video that comes up every year called one, you know, The One Shining Moment. It's like a three-minute clip. Y'all, I'm dancing like a complete goofball. It's just awful. I look horrible. If you go look later, I do have hair at the time, so <laughs> don't be looking for me with no hair. But seriously, I wouldn't have got the chance to experience what I did at Mercer if I didn't press through my insecurities my fears. With Moses, God calls him here, Right? promises to be with him, and we know, sorry, this is a bit of a spoiler for the rest of the summer, but we know that God uses Moses to do some pretty incredible things. I mean, Moses doesn't beat Duke, but, <laughs> y'all, he sees the 10 plagues. <laughs> he sees the 10 plagues, right? He parts the Red Sea. He receives the law on God's mountain. He gets to experience God. And had he stayed in the wilderness let his insecurities and fears kind of cloud his judgment, make him be disobedient, oh, he would have missed it all. Look, the same thing sits before you. I know during this sermon, and particularly this last piece of the message, you had someone come to mind. A guy from your group, girl from the office, old friend, right? My charge for you is to text them, call them, invite them to breakfast. Don't wait. The time is now. Whatever is holding you back, Right now, that thought, that insecurity. Remember, God is with you. God is with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this evening. Um, Thank you for using me to speak your word, Lord. Um, Thank you for discipleship. Um, Continue to work through us um, and further your kingdom, Lord. Um, Continue to make us more like you. You your name we pray, amen.